So does this sound familiar? You've got a child who's breathing out of their mouth, whose shirt's always wet, and who's got a chronic runny nose, and they're always screaming for what they want. That's what we're talking about today on The Working Therapist. Welcome to The Working Therapist, a podcast designed to help you grow in your therapy practice. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. Now here are your hosts, Hayden Bolick and Kirsty Miles. So ear infections, that is our topic for today, actually the medical management as related to a speech therapist, you know, for ear infections. So this is something that for me and my vows, it comes up a decent amount. For you, for ear infections, for a physical therapist or an OT, what's the impact to you guys for ear infections? You know, we're seeing children for developmental concerns and sometimes balance coordination difficulties. So even if it doesn't come up in the initial evaluation, sometimes it comes up down the road after you've been treating them for a while. Because sometimes they come in at the initial eval and they're kind of quiet. You don't really hear a lot of words, but now you've gotten to work with them every week and you're like, hmm, their speech doesn't sound like it's developmentally where it needs to be. And then, so I start asking some questions, you know, to the parent, how do they tell you, you know, what they want? Not that I'm a speech therapist, but it helps me get to, have they had a lot of ear infections? And I'm like, huh, well, that's why they keep falling over. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> that's how they get stand up straight. <laughs> so oftentimes I don't necessarily like refer back to the physician saying, hey, they're having balance trouble because of an ear infection. My first thought is we probably need to look at speech therapy. So for me, the ear infection thing, of course, you know, because if you don't hear well, then you're not going to probably speak well, right? That comes up every initial eval that I do and every re-eval that I do. Honestly, I always think about ear infections. Of course, on the re-eval, I know the child better. So I'm sort of got my thumb on the pulse of this one. So I know what to think about. But for an initial eval, I'll always ask, has the child had a lot of ear infections? Now, that's a very general, very overview kind of a question. But I don't want to ask too detailed of a question on the front side, because if I do, then the parent may go into a long, long explanation about the fact they haven't had a lot of ear infections. And I really need to get to the heart of the issue. Not, I mean, because I've only got about seven to 10 minutes to get that background history and stuff, because you normally kids that this is really impacting are the zero to three year olds. And I don't have have, but about a good 45 minutes to get an eval done. So for the medical history stuff, I really need to hit just the high points and the really most important things because I don't have too long to talk about the non-important things, you know? Um, that sounds a little cold, but that's not what I mean by that. I just have to get to the most important information. So if we talk about ear infections, the first question I'll ask is, have they had a lot of ear infections? And the parents will usually say, yeah, they've had some ear infections. Well, if they say yes, then I start digging deeper. Well, how many in the past year? Now, the AMA says if they have five ear infections in one year, not like January to December, but like in a one-year, 12-month time period, then they should be referred to an ENT. So when you're thinking about where the child has fluid in the ear, you've got the outer ear, you've got the middle ear, you've got the inner ear. So the inner ear is where the child has fluid. So the in the middle ear, that's the ear canal and then the tympanic membrane. That's why people say don't use Q-tips, right? You know, because if you're sticking a Q-tip down in your ear canal, you could puncture the tympanic membrane. So you don't want to do that. So the fluid is, is building up right on the other side of that tympanic membrane. So that can cause the tympanic membrane sometimes to bulge. And that's why sometimes people say, oh, I have a busted eardrum. Like the tympanic membrane is eardrum, you know, that's what they're referring to. But you don't want to, of course, you don't want to get to that point. You want to get it treated before that. But that's where a child could have fluid in their ear. So if you go to a doctor for an ear infection, you're treating the infection that's in the middle ear. Well, before they got the fluid in the middle ear got infected, it was fluid. 
you know? So there was a time period when the child was getting the fluid in the middle ear and then it got infected. So it got this nasty. So this was fluid that was sort of clear and, you know, now became this yellow goopy icky stuff, right? And then you treat the infection and gets rid of the infection, but the fluid is still there. So then it takes the body about at least two weeks to get rid of that fluid. So basically now you've had about a month two weeks sort of getting the fluid in the ear and then, you know, it's infected. So the antibiotic has to clear the infection up. You're usually on an antibiotic for about 10 days. So that's another two weeks. And then you got to have another two weeks where the fluid is absorbed by the body. Well, if you've had five ear infections in a year, you can start adding it up. Well, you know, that child's been basically unable to hear really clearly for at least five months out of that year period. So that's not normal. So that's not good. So they can't develop their speech sounds. Because like what I tell the parents all the time, now I know that sounds really weird in a podcast, right? The child sounds like they're hearing underwater. underwater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're not going to hear, especially in those high frequency sounds like s, ch, sh, z, v, all that they're not going to hear clearly and the ends of words because our voice goes up on the ends of words. So they're not going to hear all that stuff. What they are going to hear is g, k, like deeper sounds, lower frequency sounds, and p, b, m, d. And um, you'll hear a lot. So a lot of times children who have a lot of ear infections, they produce a lot of T's and D's. They produce a lot of P and B and M, N, not as much K and G, even though I just gave that as an example, but not as much, but usually more of those deeper frequency sounds, lower frequency sounds, and they're going to produce sounds on the beginning of words. I need to find a video for you because <laughs> uh, my lamb, you know, he was premature, but he had recurrent ear infections. Mm -hmm. And I would go back to the doctor and there you go. He has another ear infection and they were, you know, one after another, after another, and we hit six of them in a year. And finally, my question to the doctor was, has the fluid ever resolved? And she goes, no. And I was like, oh my goodness. So at that point it was, no, I don't want to do the Rocephin again. Like, right we're going to the ENT. And she, I remember being in the office and she goes, well, I'll, I'll make the referral. And I'm like, I don't need one with my insurance. Bye-bye. <laughs> 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 like we're on the other track now yeah. because, and, and it was, and what you were saying about the K sound, because we taught him a lot of like the baby signs because he wasn't speaking. And so he had the sign for cookie, you know, and he could say parts of it, yep. but it sounded like cookie. Key, and that's all he would say. And um, but the the K's were so pronounced, and the rest of it was just kind of lost. It was just funny as you were saying that. But then also with that, you know, you see the balance is off because they have all that fluid in the ear, and that yes. affects the internal crystals in the inner ear, mm -hmm. and so all of that is affected. The yep. little hair-like cells that tell you where your body is in space and your equilibrium, and all that's off. So then you see that their balance is off. And children at this younger age, between zero and three, you know, the at zero, an infant, their eustachian tubes are flat. So and as the head grows and as the body grows, then the eustachian tube starts to move to more of an incline. If it doesn't, then that's usually called eustachian tube dysfunction and, and it can remain flat in some people, but very rarely and not that often. But normally the eustachian tube angles, right? So that the fluid flows and it, it flows out of the ear. And so there shouldn't be fluid building up in the ear, but it's growing and it's changing and it's moving. And in different kids, it can grow different ways. So some kids are more susceptible to ear infections than others. You know, some kids will never have an ear infection ever. Some kids have a lot of ear infections. I've had four kids. All of my kids had a bunch of ear infections. Three of the four had two PE tubes, which we'll talk about in a second, and had their adenoids taken out. Two of the four had their tonsils taken out as well. One of them 
got off unscathed. I don't really know how. He had a ton of ear infections, but you know what? He had five in one year. We went to the ENT. The ENT said, let's give him one more month, two more months. Let's look at him. Never had another ear infection. I don't know. His he just got lost and went his at an tube, angle. His tubes must have <laughs> grown the next week. Who knows? Anyway, his body, his hook kicked in like, no, not tubes. Anyway, but the other three, uh, we had all that stuff. Anyhow, well, so... So as a PT too, sometimes we're looking at positioning, you know, and so sometimes this comes up in light of positioning. So what's the take on, because we have some parents that'll give them a bottle in bed in supine. And so what does that do? So that's not great because again, like those eustachian tubes, they're flat, you know, and if you're laying down flat in the bed, if you're not angled, then of course it just means as you're drinking because eustachian tubes goes in between the ear and the sinuses. And so if you're drinking, then bottle and milks in the back of the throat, then easily some of that formula can flow into the middle ear. And sometimes as a PT, we're not asking it in relation to ear infections. We're asking it in relation to reflux. Right. And it kind of comes in a roundabout way to... Oh, you give them a bottle in bed. Uh, So again, all that's tied together. So you don't... I don't ever like to see a child flat and taking a bottle. I always prop them up. So if you get a child, though, say they do have five ear infections in a year, then I mark that down on my piece of paper and I tuck that away for later. Because again, if you've had five ear infections in a year, then you've had at least five months when that child could not hear clearly, right? Mm-hmm. And they're developing tons of sounds between one and three, they're developing all the speech sounds and all these, uh, all tons and tons of stuff. So you need to be able to hear clearly during that time period. But then in addition to that, some other things to look at are this, does a child have a chronically runny nose? So say the child comes in today and they present and they are bad runny nose, runny nose. Well, just because they have a runny nose a day doesn't mean they have chronic ear infections or there's anything you really need to do with it, except that you want to ask the parent, do they always have a runny nose? And they're like, yeah, you know what? They are just, I'm always wiping this kid's nose. Or if you see their little nose sort of red where it's been wiped a lot by tissue, then you can think, yeah, I bet this kid's had a lot of runny noses. Or if they're breathing out of their mouth and they have a runny nose. So like, (sighs) we see them in PT, you know, because we're moving around, we're active. So a lot of times my trigger is the front of their shirt is soaked because their mouth is open and the drool. And so the shirt is just wet. Yes. Which is the next thing. So if they're always frequent chronic runny nose and they're breathing out of their mouth and the front of their shirt, that's a really good point. And they're always wet because it means maybe they're not controlling the saliva because they're just sitting with the open mouth posture. They're breathing out of their mouth. They're kind of doing what I call that Darth Vader breathing where they're... Basically, they're super hyponasal, which means you're not getting any air out of your nose. Hypernasal means there's too much airflow out of your nose. Hyponasal means there's no airflow out of your nose. So you tie the talk like this, where there's no airflow out of your nose at all. Like your nose is kind of stopped up. You know, whenever you've had a cold and you're talking like that, it sound, you know, it sounds like there's no air coming out of your nose and there isn't any air coming out of your nose. Another thing I'll say for the ear infections too is when the child's not hearing clearly, a lot of times I'll tell the parents, it can kind of sound like Charlie Brown teacher talk, you know, want, 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 want. You don't hear all the subtle stuff and you're sort of trying to guess what people are saying. Sometimes parents will say, oh, well, he hasn't had a lot of ear infections, but he has had tons of allergies. Well, okay, so maybe the child has had a lot of allergies, but if you've got a lot of allergies, you're still congested through the sinuses and through the runny nose. You got to still think about these eustachian tubes could be very flat. You may not get active and really good drainage from the middle ear down into the throat so that you get rid of that fluid and stuff. So it's just something to tuck away there as well because all of that allergy congestion can also be ear congestion. So they all can sort of be tied together. Then the other question I always ask, and this is usually the thing where I'm like, all right, here we go. Does the child snore? Because no three-year-old should sound like a 40-year-old man. 
You know, really no three-year-old when they're sleeping should be that audible, you know? And a lot of times parents are like, oh my gosh, yes, he sounds just like Uncle Fred. Well, he should not, <laughs> no. a three-year-old should not sound like Uncle Fred, like, you know, so you can hear him breathing out through all of the house. Even like just a little, he may not sound like Uncle Fred, um, and I'm not picking on Uncle Fred because sometimes Aunt Edith can sound just as bad as Uncle Fred, you know? But um, so um, he could sound like Aunt Edith or Uncle Fred, either one, but they snore <laughs> bad because really no three-year-old should sound that that loud when they're sleeping. They really should just be not that loud at all. So if they snore when they sleep, then that could also be a reason for some medical management is necessary. And then usually what people don't say is, I don't think he hears me. How does a child know what they don't hear? They, they don't know because they don't hear it, right? But usually the kids are picking up on enough stuff that they can sort of fake it pretty decent. And they don't know they're faking it, but they are. So kind of like, you know, what we talk about as a PT, I have to like go through my evaluative process because we also do see kids that don't respond to their name when called, but that doesn't mean they have an ear infection. No. So They're you just have like to rule out right. through yeah. clinical judgment and the questions that you're asking the parent to kind of get you pointed in the right direction. Yeah, just because a child does not respond to their name does not mean that they're autistic, does not mean that they have a lot of ear infections, doesn't mean that you don't hear you. It just may mean that they're playing and they're not really going to do what you want them to do right mm-hmm. this minute because they are two and three, you know, because that's just how they roll. But if throughout the eval, if you notice the whole, so I don't stop the eval or anything. I mean, I keep going. We're, we're moving on. We're just, I'm just asking some questions, but here's what I am going to pay attention to throughout the eval. So if the family has said, child comes in, he's got a runny nose, just running, running, running. And it's not like it's anything different or new for the child. If they're breathing out from their mouth, they're <sighs> for the whole time. If the family's like, yeah, he's got a lot of ear infections. He's had about five or six of them this year. We're at the doctor's office all the time. If I ask about the snoring and they're like, yeah, he's snoring. And if I do the evaluation today and and he's not producing hardly any speech sounds, and he's kind of, say he's a three-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, and they're kind of not producing a lot of words, but their receptive language is really good, but their expressive language is really delayed, that kind of thing. Because think about it, if your mouth is open when you're breathing all the time, you're not going to close it to talk. I mean, think about when you're sick with a cold. Do you really want to close your mouth to talk? Because you can't breathe. breathe. Right. And also it could affect their appetite because sometimes it definitely affects kids' appetites. Because if you do have constant drainage and you are constantly, this is going to be gross people, but swallowing cold, you know, that's gross. It can make your tummy feel gross and it could decrease your appetite. And again, you got to close your mouth to eat and you really don't feel well. Of course, now these children are sort of chronically sick all the time, but not like sick, sick, but they just chronically don't feel good all the time because they've got all this drainage in their sinuses and their nose and their ears. It can cause them to throw up too because oh, it totally. like hits that gag reflex. All and... the time. And if you get enough like cold and stuff in your yeah. tummy, it just makes you feel sick. I mean, think about it when you've had a cold all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So you just don't feel 100%. So a lot of times their appetite's affected and, you know, could be a little weight gain issue too, potentially, and they just don't feel well. And they're definitely lower expressive, usually receptive is pretty good, but lower expressive language skills, breathing out of their mouth, not really closing it to, to breathe out of their nose, not breathing out of their nose, chronic uh, runny nose, snores when they sleep. And like Kirsty said, a lot of drool on the shirt. Then usually what I always do is I explain it to the parents, say, hey, you know, this might be something where we want to go get an ENT referral. And I explain to them why, because we just might need to get them to look to see if there's fluid in the ear. We also want to see if, um, get a hearing test to see if there is a conductive hearing loss, not a sensory neural hearing loss, but a conductive hearing loss, which means there's fluid in the inner ear. And then we also want to get a tympanogram done to see if those tympanic membranes are moving at all, because if there's fluid, then they're not going to move. And then we also want to see potentially if they need to put PE tubes in or 
also potentially remove the adenoids. Now, I don't go into too much detail with this with the parents, but I certainly will do that with a pediatrician. So I explain it first to the parents, make sure they understand what I want to do, and I document all of that. And then I will call the pediatrician's office and ask to speak to the nurse if I can't get the doctor. And I will say to the pediatrician, and here's why I start with them. You know, you're like, why do you start with a pediatrician? I start with a pediatrician because they're really their primary care physician and they really don't like to be skipped. And I really don't want them to be skipped because they're going to be the one that's the consistent person in all of this stuff anyway. They're the referral source too. They are the referral source. Amen. That's probably another good point I should say. Yes. So I want to call the pediatrician's office, explain to them and ask them for a referral to an ear, nose, and throat doctor. But when the family goes to the ear, nose, and throat doctor, because I'm going to recommend speech therapy for this kid because they're already delayed expressively, right? And I'm not going to not see them until they come back to me. And there's some still stuff I can go ahead and get done. You know, I'm going to start doing therapy, but I want them to get to the ENT. And so I'm going to send a daily note to the ENT that explains about the chronic runny nose, the open mouth posture, the the delayed expressive language skills, the pretty normal, hopefully maybe uh, receptive language skills, the fact that they've had a lot of ear infections or the parents report a lot of allergies, the fact that they snore and that they're just a chronic open mouth breather. You know, I'm going to say all of that in the ENT and I'm going to say, hey, have you looked at them today for potential PE2 placement and adenoidectomy? I do want to say something about the adenoids. Normally ENTs will not take the adenoids out of the babies less than a year old but they will normally take them out if they're over a year old. And the difference is the surgery is a little bit more in depth if it's an adenoidectomy versus if it's just a PE2 placement. PE2 placement, they just use the mask, simple anesthesia. They're doing the adenoidectomy, then they have to, you know, put the tube in, the breathing tube in, that kind of thing. But if you've got those big old honking adenoids that are super infected, then really if you put the PE tubes in, you still have the problem, which is the adenoids. So if you just go ahead and get rid of those adenoids and put the PE tubes in, then it lets the ears drain, gets rid of the adenoids that you don't need anyhow. And then, woohoo, they feel better. They're breathing out of their nose. They're able to start producing some speech sounds. They're going to need a lot of speech therapy, but they're still able to start doing some of that. But you've got rid of the underlying problem, which is those awful, horrible adenoids, which is makes me happy. <laughs> well, and sometimes some of these kids, you know, they might look like they have some negative behaviors, but they really can't tell you what they want or what they need because they have no means of communication. So do you have anything that you do in the interim until, because right now they can't hear sounds, they might have an active ear infection. So what do you work on then therapeutically between now and then? Because, but you have to go back to the pediatrician, get a referral. You have to refer for an appointment with the ENT. Then you have to do a pre-surgical appointment. Then you have surgery. That could take months. That's not happening next week. Because I've heard therapists go, well, I can't see them until they get their tubes placed. But that could be three and four months, right. realistically. Right. So what do you work on in between there? So a couple of things. One, you want to go ahead and start uh, working on speech sounds because at that point, maybe the child does have maybe not an ear infections, maybe they just have fluid. So even if they have fluid, they can hear a little bit better than if the fluid's infected, right? So you want to go ahead and start working on speech sounds. You want to kind of get their hands on their face, start get your hands on their face to so start, the, you know, helping them understand what closed mouth posture, start doing some oral motor exercises to encourage like tongue movement, lip movement, cheek movement, jaw movement, because they're going to have to do all that stuff, you know? So you want to go ahead and get your hands on your their face because right now they're kind of have the same posture all the time. The mouth is open and they're just breathing. <sighs> you know, open all the time. So you want to start encouraging some other movements, some sound play, because usually what happens is they're like, oh, 
well, I didn't know I could do that. And then their, their sound play will go up, their jargon, you know, sounds that they're using in play will start increasing. And you want to go ahead and do that. Plus, you also want to go ahead and help them understand you do this to get that. And so a lot of times these kids are either pointing for things or they're just screaming for stuff. They're like, Wah! because they're not, don't have a way to ask you for it. And they feel like the pits. And I mean, if it was an adult, we would be in the bed. We'd be so sick. You know, we'd be in the bed, but these kids are so resilient. God bless their little souls. Anyway, but, um, but we would be, but you want to start showing them, Hey, you can do something else to get something besides screaming. So you want to go ahead and get rid of that screaming thing and start getting them to use a gesture. You know, I start, of course, I've said it in a bunch of different podcasts, more me open. You want them to start using a gesture, go to understand if I do this, I get that. and I don't have to scream for it. So that's what you can initially start doing. A lot of oral motor and replacing that screaming with something else. So what you just said, Hayden, about the giving them a way to communicate, because really the parent didn't show up at the office thinking my child has ear infections and that's the reason they're not talking. The real reason they walked in the door was my child can't communicate. They can't tell me what they want or need and they're throwing a fit and screaming and they won't talk. And there's no speech sounds. Yep. You got it. That's why they're here. But as you're doing your investigative work, which is what the initial eval is, that's when you're figuring out, hey, this kid's had a lot of ear infections. So there's this medical management piece. Doesn't mean that you have to not do therapy. I'll go ahead and initiate therapy. Don't wait on the ENT. Again, like I said, or the ENT visit, that's a piece that needs to happen. But there's a lot that a speech therapist can do to help with the situation. A lot of oral motor, you got to get your hands on their face and start to replace that screaming with something else. So you got to teach their mouth. There's something you, your mouth can do besides just go stay open and breathe, which is produce speech sounds and replace the screaming by using gestures. And we want to use single words and you can start to get some words. I mean, there's not saying that you can't do words. You can do words, right? It's just, but you know that you also need to give them to an ENT. And then kind of going back to that adenoid thing. So if this child has got chronic ear infections and they are really breathing out of their mouth and not their nose and their runny nose all the time and they're snoring and they fit all of these things that I just said and they're not doing a lot of sounds and they remove the adenoids and they put tubes in, right? PE tubes, we call pressure equalizing tubes. They put the tubes in, that's going to drain the fluid and they're going to take those adenoids out. Then expect your child that was hyponasal to now come in hypernasal, meaning they were not breathing out of their nose at all before they got the surgery. But now they remove the adenoids and now they're going to be breathing out all kinds of airs coming out of their nose. The reason is because they've had this big mass, this big tissue mass, which is the adenoids that was that um, behind the soft palate. Like, so basically in the nasopharynx, think about the soft palate muscle, that muscle closes against the pharynx to prevent air from coming out of the nose, right? Well, if you've got this big tissue mass with the adenoids sitting there, then the soft palate is closing up against this big mass of adenoid tissue. So if you remove it, now the soft palate muscles need to be strengthened. So you probably have to do a lot of uh, air blowing techniques, blowing air out of the mouth and like not the nose, to train them and strengthen that muscle so that it closes against the pharynx, not, well, of course the adenoids aren't there anymore, so it can't close against the adenoids, but you got to strengthen that muscle. So expect the child that was hyponasal now is hypernasal like overnight. Now kids fix it pretty quick and it's not that hard and not that long, but just expect to do some breathing activities and send home, you know, in your home program, some breathing stuff where they have to like do working on some straws, breathing out of a straw. Um, that'll help. Lots of breathing exercises you can do to strengthen that soft palate muscle because it was where they were with the adenoids, but kids are smart. They figure it quickly and then they also feel good and they can breathe 
get out of their nose and they're like a whole new person. They're like, ha ha And they also could hear. A lot of times kids will be like, you know, all of a sudden when they, after they get the surgery, they're, they've heard like birds chirp and like the sound of a car motor and just sound of footsteps, you know, all that kind of stuff that they've missed before. And I think too, another piece to add is we treat the whole child here at PDT. And, you know, we talk a lot about the sensory system. As an adult, you've ever had an ear infection, your head feels heavy. Oh, it's horrible. You feel and awful. So, so now you have a child that's supposed to be moving and crawling and rolling and giving themselves all this vestibular input, but it's just uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So you're missing also that motoric piece in addition to the language piece. And so you've got to look at that too, because that's a huge education piece for the parent of how to reintegrate that back into the daily life after all of this happens. So as a speech therapist, got to be thinking bigger picture too. And do we need to refer to OT after this? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point because kids should naturally be rolling around and doing somersaults. I mean, think about how a two and three-year-old moves. They're like, you know, turning over, rolling, rolling upside down all the time. They got their head down and their feet up all the time. Like, right. And us as adults, we don't necessarily get ear infections as much, but think about a sinus infection. Oh my gosh. I mean, that will just knock you out. Kids with ear infections and, and this kind of thing, they are. Ex- ex- and do you want to stand on your head? No. God knows. You don't want to do. No. You don't want to eat. You don't want to do. You really don't want to talk. You don't You're want to miserable. do anything. It's horrible. So it's the same thing. And they're just, they've, you know, all the time. So it's definitely something that can be treated, can be treated very quickly and easily. And then as a speech therapist, I just cannot stress strongly enough to send a daily note written with the parent to the pediatrician and to the ENT, in addition to the phone call that you're going to make to the pediatrician to explain all the things that you're seeing and why you would like for them to consider doing a PE2 placement and an adenoinectomy. You know, you just, how strongly I can emphasize that because the ENT needs to know and see, and the pediatrician does need to know and see what you saw in your eval. You can send your whole evaluation, which I would, but honestly, they're not going to read that whole big old long five page, four page, three page thing, whatever. Just break it down for them, put it in real simple terms in a daily note as a cover sheet to the eval. I think you'll get a lot of results and a lot of very appreciative doctors and pediatricians and ENTs out there. So that is my two cents on medical management of ear infection and how to deal with it from a speech therapist perspective, which we see all the time. all the time. So some other podcasts that Kirsten and I've done that tie into this are like how to deal with um, children who are screaming a lot, you know, the speech therapy and techniques to work with children who may be coming in. And we've referenced that in this podcast when a child is screaming and using that instead of words, we've done a podcast on that. So take a look at those, that and other various podcast topics on the working therapist. And you can also access that through Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. So check out all those and we'll catch you next time on another episode of the working therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. For more information or to contact us, visit us online at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.